First Methodist Mansfield. My name is Johnny Brower, and I serve as one of the pastors here. And if you're a first-time guest with us today, I, I hope you have felt a very warm welcome to our church, and I want to extend a special welcome uh, myself. And if there's anything that we can do to assist you, any questions uh, that we can answer for you, any way that we can help you, uh, I ask that you stop by our connecting point immediately following the service, uh, just outside the worship space uh, here. On your way in, uh, you received a bulletin. So I want you to grab that bulletin. I want you to notice on the back there is a space there for notes. Uh, anything, any one of the songs that particularly struck you, if you want to make note of that there, any scripture references um, that, will, that will happen, um, any sermon notes. That's a place for you to record any way God's speaking uh, with you today uh, for your further reflection. And also I'd like you to draw your attention to the website listed below. Uh, that's a link to our Grow, Pray, and Study Guide. Um, that's a... Uh, our GPS guide is a devotional guide written by our pastors to coincide with our sermon series and also help you go deeper in your studies. One last thing, if you would please, turn in your Bibles that you brought with you, uh, whether one with paper or one digital, uh, to the Gospel according to Matthew chapter 5. It's the very first book in the New Testament, pretty easy to find. Gospel according to Matthew chapter 5. There you're going to find our scripture for today in verses 14 through 17, and we'll get to that in just a moment. So last week, uh, we begun our new series called Invite, in which we are discussing the task of evangelism. So if this is your first time here, or if you missed last week, uh, you can go back and listen to last week's message, or any other message for that matter, that's archived on our website at firstmethodistmansfield.org media. But let me recap you uh, briefly here. Evangelism uh, is the reason the early Jesus movement grew at such an incredible pace, and it is essential to our current uh, and, and future growth of our faith. The problem is, is not only has the word evangelism uh, gained some, uh, let's say, negative connotation for us inside the church, but for those outside the church, um, they're becoming increasingly um, or seeing the, the Christian faith is increasingly irrelevant. And, and maybe it's because of some of this bad evangelism, I don't know, but we'll also get to that in a minute. So in this series, what we're trying to do here is frame this idea of evangelism around uh, this word invite because we believe that the gospel is inherently invitational. It has this intrinsic invitational value in the gospel. So we, the church, the people of God, exist for one reason, and that is to bring people that are not yet here to this place. And we will tirelessly pour ourselves out for those that do not yet know how much they are loved and valued by God. This is the essence of evangelism. And last week we really talked about how relevant the gospel really is uh, for our world and that there's somehow some disconnect uh, between the actual message of Jesus and how the message is being relayed. And so for these next two weeks, um, we're going to finish up this series by talking about, uh, in my opinion, the two essential ingredients to uh, evangelism. We're going to walk through those. Uh, the first is this, living the invitational life. What does it look like to live the inv invitational life? That's what we're going to be talking about um, this week. And next week, we're going to dive a little bit into proclaiming the invitational message. So we're going to be talking about actions and words. This week, actions. Next week, words. So uh, time to read that scripture I was telling you about that you've just been ready to read. I know you're so excited. Matthew chapter 5, verse 14 through 17. I'm going to be reading uh, from the NIV translation. You are the light of the world. 
A town built on a hill cannot be hidden. Neither do people light a lamp and put it under a bowl. Instead, they put it on its stand, and it gives light to everyone in the house. In the same way, let your light shine before others, that they may see your good deeds and glorify your Father in heaven. Do not think that I have come to abolish the law of the prophets. I have not come to abolish them, but to fulfill them. May God add a blessing to the reading, hearing, and understanding of the scripture. Will you pray with me? Lord, we thank you for your presence in this place and the challenging truth of your word. May the words of my mouth and the meditations of my heart be pleasing to you. And may your character and truth be known in this place, in everyone's heart, in spite of my limitations. Amen. Uh, so one of my favorite places to be, and it, let me preface this, um, have a four-year-old, so we don't really get out all that much. But when we do, one of my favorite places to be, and kind of always has been, uh, is downtown Fort Worth. Anybody else like downtown Fort Worth? I love downtown Fort Worth. Sundance Square is just a beautiful place. Uh, for those of you that didn't raise your hand, you should go and just change your mind about that because it is a really cool place, especially on a perfect spring evening. Uh, there's plenty of good food uh, and entertainment down there. It's even good to just go get a cup of coffee and, and just kind of walk around and people watch and converse with those that you're with, um, chatting and just kind of enjoying being out uh, together. But uh, I can remember uh, times when I would frequent down there, often um, there would be this thing that I would run into that would soon spoil or, or dampen, at least dampen the, the evening a little bit. And maybe you've experienced this as well. As well, We would walk along and it wouldn't be long before I would turn a corner and there would be somebody, usually a, a, a man, standing on a box with a, a big megaphone shouting angrily at everybody who is downtown scolding us for being down there, that we were heathens. He would shout about how angry God was and how degenerate we were and how dare we drink lattes and go to the movies and, you know, revel in this worldly entertainment, that we were participating in sin and we greatly needed to repent uh, lest God rain down his fury upon us and exact his vengeance uh, upon us as he did in some biblical story that they liked to quote, whether it's Sodom and Gomorrah or, or whatever. And then they would sneak in there, let Jesus be your Lord and Savior. Jesus loves you. He will save you from your sins and lattes. Like he, he, <laughs> thank you. <laughs> he will, he loves you, but he, he hates your sin and you're, you're all evil. And, you know, it was just this really conflicting message. And you know, it was, it was just crazy to me, and I would look at this, and I would go, does this actually work? Does anybody walking by go, oh, my gosh, you are so right. I was just about to go in to see Paddington Bear, but I see the error of my ways now, and I just, I repent right here, and I just, I want to follow this God that sounds so great. <laughs> you know, it, it just, it, it doesn't, it was just such a buzzkill, and it didn't seem like it, it ever would really work, and really, Honestly, this, this, this evangelist supposedly bringing the good news, it sounded a lot more like bad news to me. Uh, it sounded dark and scary, and, and it was full of fear and, and hate, and that word hate was used a lot. And for the longest time when I heard the word evangelist, this is who I would picture in my head. And, and I know this isn't the true picture of an evangelist, but this is who I would picture. I would picture this person yelling and almost fighting against people. 
And, and I would see this and I would wonder, maybe because this isn't working, not necessarily because of how angry you are, but because there's really no relationship. There's, I would walk by thinking, he doesn't even know me. He doesn't know that I, I pour my life out for people, that I, 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 I work in a church, you know, like, and he's yelling at me. Like, you know, I'm not perfect, but I don't think I deserve this. This is what I thought of as an evangelist and for, for years, but I would hear this word and I would just think, well, that's not me. I don't do that. I don't, I don't know what you think of when you think of the word evangelist. When I say that word, um, what pops into your head? It may be good, but it may also be bad. Is it, is it that angry, shouting street preacher that you, that you picture? Is it, do you picture the people that, that show up at soldiers' funerals or college campuses with signs that Tell everyone who and what God hates so much. Is, the, is it the late night televangelist that has way too much makeup and hairspray and um, promises that your life will be changed radically forever if you just send this money to our ministry, your life is going to be changed forever, transformed? Is it that Christian talk show host that likes to explain natural disasters, hurricanes, and earthquakes that kill hundreds, that destroy lives and, and, and wreck entire countries and, and, and explain it away as, as sinful living, and that's the reason these bad things happen. What do you think of when you think of an evangelist? Maybe, maybe this is why we get so nervous about this word evangelism, because there's this kind of dominant picture of what that word is and what a person who does that uh, is. We're called to be the light of the world, what Jesus says, yet there seems to be this dark shadow that gets cast over that word evangelism and cast over our Christian faith as the, as, as the culture sees it because we have so many uh, prominent uh, people, Christians and groups that do this in the name of Jesus, just casting this dark shadow across everybody. They draw this line, and, and they, and they want to be sure that you know you're on the other side of that line. And if you just change everything about you and become more like us, then you can join us. But not until then. You stay on your side. I want, I want to be very clear about where you stand, where I stand, who's in and who's out. That's what I want you to know. We become reluctant to be evangelists because we don't want to be associated with that. We don't want to be associated with hate-filled and fear-driven and hurtful theology. And we're afraid of rejection as well. I, I posted up on Facebook uh, this week just asking, hey, what are the, some of the barriers uh, to evangelism that you feel personally? And overwhelmingly, the fear of rejection uh, was number one across the board. There are many others, and a lot of those we'll, we'll touch on as, as we go through. But fear of rejection was big. And I know we all have, as, as humans, a fear of rejection, but I also wonder if we feel like rejection is inevitable because of the picture, a, how a Christian is portrayed uh, in our society today. They, they think of these pictures, and we just know, well, they're going to think I'm that, and so they're going to reject that because I reject that. These days, it seems like the picture uh, that people are getting of what the church is all about uh, is that the church is prim primarily known by what it's against and not necessarily what it's for. It seems like every time I click on the news or I'm scrolling through Facebook and I see articles being shared or, 
are, are posted. Uh, there's some, some new article, something else that the church has decided to be against. And, and hear me when I say the church, I mean like the church, like not our church, I mean the whole church. Uh, if you've been around long enough, you've probably seen multiple uh, versions of this, right? Like the church is against rock and roll. It's, it's, it's Satan music and, you know, yet now we, we worship today to, to rock, right? Like we, we, we worship, we write songs of glory um, to God. That the church is against the Beatles and if you play their records backwards, it says something terrible and Believe it or not, at one point in time, the church was against Cabbage Patch Kids and Blue Jeans and on and on and on and on. It seems like so often that, that the way the world sees the church is that it's constantly positioning itself against something and not necessarily lifting up what it is for. And too often, our most prominent examples of evangelism are too concerned with making those points, proving everybody wrong, and not so concerned with actually making a difference in this world which is what we're called to do. They're too concerned with drawing a moral line in the sand and clearly defining who's in and out, telling you you're wrong, putting people in their place, too busy doing that than to actually invest and lead people into a place of repentance and wholeness and restoration. So these are kind of bad examples of evangelism. This is bad examples of the way we live out our faith. I would not call these examples of grace, but what is an example of grace? Well, I thought for us here, naturally, we would turn to uh, Jesus, who I might consider to be uh, the best evangelist. But there's a story in the Gospel of John, um, Matthew, Mark, Luke, John in the New Testament, the Gospel of John, uh, where Jesus is sitting in the temple courts um, crowded around, and, and he's teaching, as, as Jesus is prone to do. And while he was there, some teachers of the law and Pharisees came up to him with a woman who had been caught in adultery. Now, uh, if you're new to church, teacher of the law, Pharisees, these are people, um, in the simplest terms, they are people that are experts at being religious. They knew all the rules, they knew all the laws, they were really good at telling you that they knew all the rules and laws. They were really good at telling you that you didn't know them and you weren't following them very well. Um, they were really good at being religious. And they were experts on who was doing it well and who was not. And so they bring this woman who was caught in adultery to Jesus and they say to him, Teacher, this woman was caught in the act of adultery. And the law of Moses states, not states, commands that we should stone such a woman. But what do you think we should do? Now, this is what we like to call a trap, right? The Pharisees are, <laughs> the Pharisees are coming to Jesus, and the Pharisees and Jesus have beef, right? Like, they don't like each other very much because Jesus is kind of ruffling some feathers and shaking things up a little bit. And, and so they're coming to Jesus with kind of this trick. Because if Jesus sides with the woman... Kind of as his ministry has gone on, we have seen Jesus have this ministry of grace and mercy and forgiveness. And if he does that, if he sides with the woman, then he is, in essence, siding against the law. He is siding against morality. And in some ways, he is in favor of adultery. And then Jesus will be totally discredited. The Pharisees can point and go, see, this guy isn't worth following. This guy isn't worth listening to. You should all leave now. Or the other option, Jesus could side with the Pharisees. Jesus could draw that line in the sand and say, well, yep, she's on the other line of that sand, and that's what the law says. 
That's what our scriptures say, is that when somebody does this, that they should be put to death. You are absolutely right. And I want everybody to listen up, and I want you to look at what happens to sinners. Jesus could have done that too. But then what happens? This, this gospel of love and grace and forgiveness that, that Jesus has been preaching, the healing and forgiveness that he has shown to others, all of a sudden his message becomes inauthentic and he's discredited again because he doesn't side with forgiveness. So what's a person like Jesus to do in a situation like this? Well, our scriptures tell us that Jesus, after hearing the question, decided to kneel down and start scribbling in the dirt. Not drawing the line in the sand. He's just scribbling in the dirt, almost as if he didn't even hear it. Almost like he doesn't care. But the accusers don't give up that easily. They keep questioning Jesus. What say you, Jesus? What say you? What are we supposed to do? What do you think we should do, Jesus? Tell us. Tell everybody here how we should handle this situation that seems so clear to us. So Jesus finally stood up and looked at them and said, let any of you who are without sin throw the first stone at her. And with that, he knelt back down and continued drawing his picture in the dirt. And one by one, the accusers dropped their stones and they left, discouraged, probably annoyed, a little angry, but definitely defeated. When Jesus noticed this, when he noticed everybody leaving, the woman was still there, fearing for her life, uh, he straightened up and he asked the woman where everybody had gone. Has none condemned you? And she replied, none, no one. Then Jesus said, then neither do I condemn you. Go and leave your life of sin. What Jesus does here is extraordinary what Jesus does in a lot of places is extraordinary, but this is extraordinary. He had the perfect opportunity to not only side with his enemies and get them on his side, but also to make a huge statement, a big stand against sin, against immorality, against adultery. He could have unequivocally said, I'm on the side of the law. I follow our religious laws because that's what it's got us this far. And I'm sorry, but this is the way it goes. And he would have been right, because that is exactly what the law said. He would have been absolutely right uh, within the religious bounds there. But instead, but instead Jesus decides to take a stand, literally stands up whenever he tells the Pharisees that, he, that those that are without sin can cast the first stone. He decides to take a stand for this woman rather than making a point about adultery. Jesus chooses to stand for this woman. He chooses to make a difference in this woman's life rather than making a point to everyone else that was watching. And in this person's darkest hour, when it was dim, when all hope was lost, Jesus becomes the light in her world. Jesus shines the light of love on her. And literally saves her life. Now, wait, wait a minute, Johnny. Like, I, I hear all that, grace, love, really good. So are you saying that Jesus isn't against adultery? No, obviously I'm not saying that, not at all. In fact, 
whenever he and the woman parted ways, he said, go and leave your life of sin. If we look back at our, our scripture that we read earlier from Matthew chapter 5, verse 17, Jesus says, I have not come to abolish the law, but to fulfill it. Jesus is definitely for the law. Jesus is definitely for morality. He is for righteousness. Jesus is for holiness. And he, and he absolutely is against adultery and any sin for that matter, but not at the expense of grace. Jesus is definitely for righteousness and, and for holiness and against sin, but not at the expense of grace. Instead, what Jesus did here was establish this sort of relational bridge with this person. I love the order in which these events take place. That Jesus says, before anything else, I do not condemn you. And then he preaches to her, now go, leave your life of sin. But first, I need you to know that I am for you. I am with you. I am invested in you. I love you. I know that you are better than this. And I want you to know and I want you to trust that I am with you. And now that you know that I have your best interest in mind, let me tell you to go and sin no more. And for this woman and everyone else with an earshot, and as a matter of fact, for everyone who heard this story as it got passed down, including us in this room here, Jesus became very real to this woman. His message became very real and very authentic. The love and the grace of God through Jesus came alive in that moment when Jesus decided to be for her. The world can be a really dark place sometimes. Lots of fear and worry and turmoil. Uh, some big, some small, some you know, everyday stresses that, that many of us have. And, and, it's, and it's dark enough as is without we Christians running around and, and casting a shadow all over everything and, and, and being a huge buzzkill and ruining everybody's day. People know things are hard. You, all you have to do is watch the news. Turn on the TV and you'll hear something terrible, some new crazy thing that happened here or anywhere else. But amidst this darkness, God has placed a flashlight in the world, and that's you. God has placed a flashlight in the world, and that's you. Jesus says that you are the light of the world. Let your light shine before others that they may see your what? Good deeds. Let's say that again. Good deeds. And glorify your Father in heaven. You see, being the light of the world is not walking into a room and throwing a moral or ethical hand grenade in there and blowing everything up and Jesus juke everybody while they're in there. That's not what we're called to do. That was like a joke for like three people. I'm sorry. <laughs> you can Google that later, Jesus juke. It's really funny. It's not about coming in and pointing out everybody's sins and saying that you're all evil, terrible people unless you repent right now in front of me, that God's going to be so angry with you and there's no telling what he might do. That's not what being the light of the world is. Rather, it's, it's simply living out that which we believe. Being the light of the world is living out that which we believe. It's expressing our faith through our loving, grace-filled actions in the world. It's engaging the world in such a way that Jesus is seen and experienced uh, in people like me and people like you by the way we live our lives. 
Because faith lived out and expressed through love becomes authentic. You're looking for authenticity? Live out your faith with grace and love. And it's an authentic faith that lights up the dark places of the world. It is authentic faith that, that grants permission, grants us permission and access to people's lives to be a real change, a real force of change for people, transformation and healing. It's authentic faith that inspires people to know the God that we know, the God that has such an impact on us. And when we become people who live out our faith in our marriages, that live out our faith in our parenting, that live out our faith as employers or employees, that live out our faith with our friends, when we become people that live out our faith with our enemies, we show the world the radical love of God and we shine the light of that grace and love into some of the most darkest places. It's amazing the transformation and the access that you get when people see you as authentic. Living out our, our faith in love and grace causes us to become authentic. So what would happen when the world begins to see Christians living out their faith in very authentic ways? I, I am so proud, and I, and I love to brag on this church anytime I'm anywhere, really. So proud to serve a church filled with some of the most committed people that I have ever met to living out their faith in authentic ways. To see the ways people gather together and, and create programs and outreaches that serve so many people uh, without asking anything in return. The people that I meet each and every day that are living out their faith in real and authentic ways um, in all aspects of their life. My hope, my hope is that we explore, as we explore this idea of evangelism, that we don't get caught up with these pictures and images and, and worry, am I, am I not doing evangelism right? But rather that we are encouraged and empowered by some of the things that we're already doing and that we continue to pour our energy in our efforts into our own faith formation and living out our faith in our life in a very authentic and real way. I hope that we continue living out our invitational lives that are filled with grace and love. Because you you are the light of the world. A town built on a hill cannot be hidden. Neither do people light a lamp and hide it under a bowl. Instead, they put it on its stand, and it gives light to everyone in the house. In the same way, let your light shine before others, that they may see your good deeds and glorify your Father in heaven. This is the invitational life. Faith lived out in love and grace, a light that shines in the darkness and guides the way to healing. Will you pray with me? Lord, light up our lives with your love. Ignite our passion for you and our commitment to living out our faith in love. We are not the judge of this world, and we are thankful for that. And for anyone here, God, that has felt that hurtful message, I pray for the healing of their heart. And I pray that they forgive us. 
And for all of us, let us live the invitational life as a light in the darkness, guiding everyone to you. It is in your grace and love that we pray all these things. Amen.